So let's begin by thinking through a question. What are some of the things that would help you have joy every day? And, and I'm not really looking for spiritual answers. You know, I, I know that Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. That's not the solution I'm looking for here. What would help you have joy every day? I'm looking for things like kids whining less might help you have joy every day. Uh, if you have an answer, why don't you shout it out? What would help you have joy every day? Exercise. Say that again? Exercise. Exercise. Just a minute. <laughs> yeah, what'd you say? Fellowship. Oh, fellowship. Cake. That's a good answer. No, not Diet Pepsi. <laughs> Diet Coke might, but um, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I've lost control again. Yeah. Getting rid of, my dog. Getting rid of the dog. <laughs> okay. Someone Thursday night said the pirate's winning. Um, yeah, that's a pipe dream there. But um, my, I mean, they need some of our championship players from our team. But um, anyway, uh, someone else uh, said that it, 15 minutes of silence. Being able to sleep past 5 a.m., a parent said, yeah, I get that. How about living on the beach in Hawaii with enough money to never have to worry about anything? That would help, wouldn't it? So, let's think this through. All of the answers, or almost all of the answers that we gave uh, fit one of these categories. I would have joy every day if I was in a different place or if I had different things, or if I was in a different circumstance, a different place, a different circumstance, or different things. So now let's set that aside for just a minute. What if you viewed your life as a game? What if life was a game? I, I remember playing tic-tac-toe with one of my grandsons, and uh, it was an interesting game because normally I would play with strategy, but not this time. I tried to let him win, and that wasn't easy because he was putting both X's and O's in random places while playing tic-tac-toe. And even when he lost one game, he kept playing until all the boxes were full. It was kind of hard to even attempt to lose to him. And playing with a strategy is an interesting thing. Some people play games differently. Some just play. And some, like me, use strategy. Most games have an outer game and an inner game. The outer game is the fun that's right there in front of you. And the inner game is a strategy. It's an attitude of the game. And some deal with their life like it's a game. Some deal with their life like it's a game. Some just let life happen to them. They roll with the punches. They hope that good things will happen. And sometimes they get into a bind and have to make a quick choice. And they may cut a corner or cheat a little bit. And they don't think much about it. They're just focused on getting through the day. They're focused on the outer game. 
Others are focused on the inner game while they're playing the outer game. They plan and they prepare and they focus on the future and they live with integrity no matter what happens. There is no cheating for them. And even when it's a tough choice, they do what Jesus would want them to do, what the Bible teaches. And they work on having a good attitude even in bad times. These people are focused on the inner game. And I believe that choosing joy every day is really dependent on whether we're focused on the inner game or the outer game in our life. If you're focused on the outer game, you will be happy when things go well. You'll be happy when you're winning, when you're doing something fun, when you're doing something exciting, when your marriage is problem-free, when your kids are behaving, when you have enough money in the bank account. But if you're focused only on the outer game, you will be unhappy when illness strikes your house, or when there is no money, or when marriage is one of the, in one of those very normal, difficult times. And if you're focused only on the outer game, you will be unhappy the entire time your kids are toddlers and teens. That's just the way it works. You see, happiness depends on what's happening. And focusing on the outer game and finding happiness depends on winning and getting your way and having fun and loving life. But focusing on the inner game allows there to be joy even when the game isn't going your way. And in Philippians, Paul is focused on the inner game not the outer game. In this letter, Paul talks to us about joy over and over again. It is clear that life is supposed to be a joy-filled experience, not a problem to be endured. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says simply this, be full of joy in the Lord always. I will say it again, be full of joy. Paul wants to emphasize the importance of this, and so he says it twice in the same sentence, be full of joy. Now, that seems to be pretty routine for Paul to say until you remember where he is when he's writing these words, until you remember that he is sitting in jail, literally chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he's waiting to hear whether he will be released or whether he will be executed. He isn't free to do what he wants in his life. He isn't able to do what he had hoped to do, what he had planned to do. But from prison, he teaches us to choose joy every day. To choose joy every day. And what he says can help us to have joys on day when the, days when the game is fun and uh, exciting and going good. And what he says can help us to still have joy when, they're, when things aren't going our way. On days when life is tough and there's financial problems and the kids just won't listen. So as we finish this series on choosing joy... Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, where we will find five choices that lead to daily joy. Five choices that lead to daily joy. You can take notes on the note cards in front of you or uh, through the YouVersion app, but let's look at these five choices. Here's the first. I will resolve conflict. 
I will resolve conflict. Look at verses 2 through 5 of chapter 4. Paul writes this, I ask Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord, and I ask you, my faithful friend, to help these women. They served with me in telling the good news together with Clement and others who worked with me, whose names are written in the book of life. Be full of joy in the Lord always. I will say it again, be full of joy. Let everyone see that you are gentle and kind. The Lord is coming soon. Now, I mentioned this problem in resolving conflict a few weeks ago, so we won't spend a lot of time here, and we really don't know all the details, but it seems that these two women in the church were arguing, and it must have been a pretty serious disagreement. These two women, Yodia and Syntyche, were leaders in the church in Philippi. Paul said that they, along with others in the church, served him and served with him in teaching the gospel to people. And Paul tells them that they need to agree in the Lord, that they need to get along with each other. He says that they need to resolve their conflict now, this is the only place in the Bible that these two women are mentioned. How would you like your honorable mention in the Bible to be something like this? They were famous for their fight. They're famous for their fight. That's what we know about them. They were having trouble getting along with each other. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Think about your life. If your life was being summed up in one verse in the Bible, what would sum up your life? What would it be? Would it be arguing? Would it be complaining? Would it be an addiction? Or would it be always serving, always pointing people to Jesus, always being joyful? But these women are famous for their fight. And notice how important... The disagreement is, while writing a letter to the entire church in Philippi, Paul brings it up. He is exerting peer pressure on these two women. He asks another leader in the church, maybe Silas or Lydia or Epaphrodites, to help them resolve this problem. And so he mobilizes all of the resources of the church to get two members of the church to stop arguing to get two members of the church to resolve their conflict. So no effort was too great to maintain church unity. Why? Well, because when we refuse to resolve conflict, it just robs us of our joy and robs the joy of many people around us. Think about ongoing conflicts in your relationships. If you want daily joy, you need to choose to do your best to resolve that conflict. Another choice that leads to daily joy is, I will avoid worry. I will avoid worry. Look at verses 6 and 7. Do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need. Always give thanks, and God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How much time do you spend worrying? Most of us spend at least a little time on it, but some of you have made a full-time job out of worrying. You've become experts at worrying. In fact, if you are a worrier, 
Right now, you may be worried that you worry too much. Right this very minute, you might be worried that your spouse is going to elbow you in the ribs. Or you might be worried that someone saw your spouse when they elbowed you in the ribs just a minute ago. You may be worried. And the verse starts, don't worry about anything. Or some of the other translations say, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It's interesting to look a little deeper at this phrase. The Greek word used here for worrying or being anxious implies being pulled in different directions. And the English root for the word means to strangle. So that gives us a good picture of worry, worry or anxiety. Your hopes about a situation pull you in one direction, and your fears of the situation pull you in the opposite direction, and you're literally being pulled apart in the process, and as a result, joy is being strangled out of you and out of that situation. Does that describe anyone else's battle with worry? But the verse is really clear. It says it pretty simply. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. These verses aren't just for people who worry a lot. These verses are for all of us. It is saying none of us should ever worry about anything. Studies show that the time we spend worrying really is wasted time. Did you know that only 8% of the things you worry about are valid concerns? Only 8%. 92% of the things we worry about, according to studies, uh, we worry about imaginary situations or situations that never end up happening or problems that are in the past or problems that are outside of our control. And if that's true, then the passage is wise to tell us not to worry about anything. that's easy to say, but it's hard to do, isn't it? But the passage gives us advice on what to do instead. Did you catch it? It says, instead of worrying about anything, I should pray about everything and ask God to provide whatever I need. Instead of worrying, I should pray about everything. And when I remember to do this, the outcome is amazing. When I pray instead of worrying, God gives me his peace in my heart and mind, according to this passage. And God's peace, according to this passage, keeps my heart and my mind in Jesus. God's peace keeps my heart and my mind connected to Jesus. And so instead of worrying, I need to pray. If you want to choose joy every day, you have to make the choice that I will avoid worry. I also have to make the choice, I will be focused on the positive. I'll be focused on the positive. Some people are really negative in every area of their life. I mean, they're little Eeyores, just kind of always finding what's wrong in every situation, in every setting. Do you know anyone like that? Don't look at them. I've had the privilege of leading several tours to Israel and other countries, and most of the people that go on these tours are already committed Christ followers, and, uh, but on almost every trip, there's at least one 
negative person. One really negative person. Instead of noticing and enjoying all of the differences and the countries that we're visiting, they complain about everything. They complain about everything from the price of coffee or pop to the fact that not many people in this foreign country speak English. <laughs> and every time I have one of these negative people on a tour, I wonder why did they spend all of their money to go halfway around the world and complain? And usually I discover that that's a pattern of their life. When they're home, they complain about everything also. But Paul says if we want daily joy, we need to focus on the positive. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Do what you learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do, and the God who gives peace will be with you. I don't think he's saying that uh, we have to have a mindset that ignores bad things. I don't think he's saying that we can't notice or even prefer something different. He's just saying we should be focused on the positive. Instead of focusing on what's bad, we need to focus on what's good, things that we can praise, things that we can compliment. Instead of focusing on lies and conspiracy and conjecture around us every day, we need to focus on what is really true. We concentrate on what's honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respectable instead of on what is disgusting and immoral and the ugly stuff around us. And in, in, at the end of the verses, he says this, do what you learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do. He is saying focusing on the positive should include us focusing on following positive examples of godly people around us. We should be focused on positive people and following their example. There's two questions here that I want to have you consider. The first is, who are the positive and godly examples in your life that you should be emulating? Who can you watch and imitate knowing that if you do what you see them do, you will end up closer to Jesus, not further away? That's the first question. Who are the positive influences in your life? The second question is this. If your children or grandchildren do what they see you do, will they end up closer to Jesus or further away? If your kids and your grandkids and your best friends listen to you and do what you say and do what they've watched you do, does that move them towards Jesus or away from Jesus? So, I will be focused on the positive. Another choice we can make for daily joy, joy is I will be content. I will be content. Pastor Bill talked about this recently, but let me mention it too. The fact is, all of the advertising that we see in America seems to be aimed at making us discontent. It seems to be aimed at making us dissatisfied. It tells us we need newer and nicer and bigger and better things. Advertising makes us look at what we have and uh, find ourselves disappointed. We find ourselves disappointed because 
my car does not parallel park itself. I'm so dissatisfied. Or I went on vacation camping and there were some really scary looking people there. Instead of going to an all-inclusive resort that apparently only beautiful people go to if you watch the advertisements. But Paul is sitting in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's waiting to know if he will live or die and he's full of joy because he has chosen to be content. He's chosen to be content. Look at what he says in verses 10 through 13. I am very happy in the Lord that you have shown your care for me again. You continued to care about me, but there was no way for you to show it. I am not telling you this because I need anything. I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I am poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. When I have enough to eat and when I go hungry, when I have more than I need and when I do not have enough, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Now, he starts by thanking them for their financial support. His gratitude is real. His gratitude is sincere. And it causes me to think that I need to be more grateful. But that isn't what jumped out at me from this passage. My problem is I can read these words that Paul wrote, but too often I couldn't speak them as truth from my life. Here's what he said. I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. Hmm. Sometimes I do good with one, but not the other. I'm satisfied with what I have, but I'm not satisfied with what's happening. Other times I'm satisfied with what's happening, but not satisfied with what I have. And to have joy every day, I need to make the choice, I will be content. Being content just means being able to say, it's enough. It's enough. What I have is enough. The house I live in is fine. The clothes that I have in my closet are enough. My three-year-old computer that is now ancient, outdated equipment is enough. What's going on in my life is fine. It's enough. So what are the areas of your life where you're dissatisfied? Spend a few minutes thinking about it, would you? I mean, how satisfied are you with the things that you have right now? How can we ever be grateful for what we have if we're always wanting different or better or more? Here's another area to think about. How satisfied are you with what's happening around you? Are you always blaming your circumstances on others, resenting the fact that great things are happening to other people in their job or in their marriage or in their finances and those things aren't happening to you? You will never experience joy on a daily basis until you make the choice, I will be content. The last choice that will lead to daily joy is this one, I will be generous. I will be generous. 
Paul praises them for their generosity. Look at verses 14 through 18. But it was good that you helped me when I needed it. You Philippians remember when I first preached the good news there. When I left Macedonia, you were the only church that gave me help. Several times you sent me things I needed when I was in Thessalonica. Really, it is not that I want to receive gifts from you, but I want you to have the good that comes from giving. And now I have everything and more. I have all I need because Epaphrodites brought your gift to me. It is like a sweet-smelling sacrifice offered to God who accepts that sacrifice and is pleased with it. Again, this area has more to do with the inner game than the outer game. It has more to do with our attitudes than it has to do with our actions. It's common for people to think that they would be generous if they had lots of money. People say all the time, if I was rich, I would give so much. If I won the lottery, I would give so much. If I, you know, had a huge inheritance, I would give so much. And yet many of the people who I know who live generous lives and receive extreme joy from it are not wealthy. They're not at all wealthy. I'm so proud of our people. Many of you really have been learning to be generous. We've had several situations recently where we've, where we've asked you to help and to let God love others through you. We asked you to give us help to cover the remaining costs of the church building that we're funding in Brazil, and over $20,000 has been given so far. That's great. That's generous. Yep. We ask some of you to provide furniture for our new staff members, missionaries that will be living here and serving with us for a while beginning next week and several step to the plate and provided those needs. And we let you know just a little over a week ago about a financial need for this house build that we did. And uh, within about a week, that entire need appears to be fulfilled. I think as of today, that entire need will be fulfilled. And based on the people who have been talking to me about these projects, it isn't just rich people that are giving to these needs. Some who have talked to me I know struggle to make ends meet, and they're giving to these needs also. And Paul said something really significant here. He said, after thanking them for his gift, he said, their gift, he says, really, it's not that I want to receive gifts from you, but I want you to have the good that comes from giving. We've been saying that for several weeks now. Many of us really are learning some lessons about generosity in recent years. And I know it doesn't make sense to some of you. But being generous, even when you don't think you can afford it, even when you have to make changes in your lifestyle somewhere to be able to do it, that really is a pathway to joy. I really want all of you to experience that joy. I really want you to experience the good that comes into your life through being generous. And so that's one of the choices you can make for daily joy. Now, here are the five choices that Paul has mentioned as he closes this letter about choosing joy. He says, if I want daily joy, I need to make these choices. I will resolve conflict. I'll avoid worry. I will be focused on the positive. I will be content and I will be generous. And these choices will give you joy if you just let them be a part of the lifestyle you live as you choose joy. 
So as we end this series of messages from Philippians, the message of this letter is we need to be people who choose joy whether times are good or whether times are stressful. And the theme of this letter should become the theme of our lives. It's there in verse 4 that we started with today. Be full of joy in the Lord always. I will say it again, be full of joy. And to really begin to live that out in our lives, let me quickly highlight three promises that give us joy. Three promises that God has given to us, that God makes to us, that will help us to have daily joy. They're here in the chapter. The first promise he makes is the peace of God. The peace of God. Look at verse 7. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we will make the choices we've talked about today, God promises to give us his peace, peace that is so great that we can't explain it and we can't understand it, and that peace will guard our hearts and minds and keep us close to Jesus. The second promise that he makes in this chapter is the power of God. The power of God. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. This promise is for those of you who think that your life is so full of stress, so full of conflict that you just can't do it. You can't live with joy. You can't be content. You can't be focused on the positive. You can't be generous. You can't stop worrying. And if you're saying that you can't, look at the verse again. You can you can do all things through Christ because he's giving your strength to you. And you don't have to do it by yourself. You're not alone on this. He is giving you strength. He has promised you the power of God for your life. The third promise that he makes is the provision of God. The provision of God, it's in verse 19. It says this, my God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need to give you everything you need. You know, we often say to God, God, I don't have enough. I don't have what I need. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I don't have what I need uh, strength-wise to overcome this sin habit. I don't have the patience I need with these kids. I don't have the right words to invite my friends who are far from God to visit church with me. And when you feel like you don't have enough, when you don't have what you need, remember the promise of God's provision. It says, God, who is rich, will give you everything you need from his wonderful riches. He will give you everything you need to serve him. He will give you everything you need to obey him. He will give you everything you need to do all of the things that you need to do for him. He will provide everything you need. Now, that doesn't mean he'll provide everything you want, but he will give you everything you need. You might be at a really great place in your relationship with God right now. I mean, you might be happy. You might be satisfied most days. Uh, life is really going your way. Or you might be in a really bad place right now. It seems like nothing's going your way. Your life might be full of problems and pain and stress like Paul's was when he was writing these words that we've been studying. No matter which of those describes you, please hear the message clearly. You can choose joy. You can choose joy and experience it every day when you trust Jesus, when you submit to him, when you follow him 
fully. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just feel like we need to pause and confess and repent. Father, we confess that many times our choices have been exactly the opposite of what we've been talking about here. Father, we've chosen to continue conflict rather than resolving it. Father, we've chosen to just be overcome with worry. We've chosen, Father, to focus on the negative, not the positive. We've chosen to be dissatisfied, to always want more. And we've chosen to be stingy. And Father, we've made those choices and then we've wondered why our life is so miserable. Father, would you just accept us as we confess that sin to you and turn back towards you. And Father, we want to choose joy. Joy that comes from trusting Jesus fully. Joy from focusing on our inner game. Letting ourselves follow your path. Finding your strength and your joy. And Father, would you help each one of us to not allow this just to be a nice sermon, but to let this be a defining moment in our life as we embrace your instruction to us so that we can follow you fully. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.